in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. Corporate pride and pinkwashing is a topic I've wanted to cover for so long. I'm not and never have been a particularly palatable queer. It's made for a very fun life, but has no doubt made it harder for me in the realm of professional achievement. A lot of you like me, a lot of people do not. Some of that is the sheer magnetism of my sparkling personality. Some of it is because I'm not the type of queer you'd prefer me to be. I grapple with that a lot, especially when it comes to money. The audience I built as a cis bisexual YouTube character is not who I am today. And that equally delights and upsets people. Recently, I was at a screening of the lesbian classic Western Desert Hearts, where they played a short film ahead of the movie by a gay director named Jim Hubbard. Hubbard describes himself on his website as making experimental and documentary films exploring queer life and grassroots politics. As part of the Q&A that evening, Hubbard briefly mentioned that there were two tragedies that had destroyed queer life. One was AIDS, and the second was gay marriage. 
He did not elaborate. The next questioner obviously asked him to do so on the part about gay marriage. I don't wish to quote him out of context or incorrectly, but what he said in my mind amounted to the reason he'd said gay marriage was bad for gay people was because it became the number one issue in a community that had so many more pressing issues and brought to the forefront only the problems of a certain class, gender, race, and type of queer. It was respectability. Now, I understand the importance of marriage, and no one explains it better than LGBTQ activist Cleve Jones talking about how during AIDS, partners of the dying were not given any protection under the law. But to Hubbard's point, marriage was a win for gay people to be more like straight people, to be respected by straight society. And in his opinion, it was to the detriment of addressing what queer people need to be queer. I felt sparks when I heard Hubbard talk like this. Maybe it's inelegant. Maybe it's clunky. But it lit up my brain. I liked that he said something so controversial with so much conviction and that it wasn't dressed up prettily for anyone other than the queers. And even the queers didn't like it. I just want queer things for queer people and I don't want to present as good or nice all the time. I guess the word for this is tired. I'm gay and I'm tired. When I think of pride, I want to equally be able to imagine messily making out with my friends at the park while waving our flags as I do the riot at Stonewall exacerbated by police that led to that movement. The gay people who died of AIDS while their companies did nothing about it and did not provide them with health care or allow them to even talk about it. The people who were fired. The people who experienced discrimination before gay people became good for business. And more than anything, I want context for our history before queers start jumping down other queers' throats. That's why our first guest this week is someone I've wanted to have on the show for a long while, Dr. Eric Cervini, an LGBTQ historian who wrote a book called The Deviant's War, The Homosexual versus the United States of America. What a title. In our interview, Dr. Cervini mentions a documentary short about the 1970s New York Pride March by Lily Vincennes. I found the short called Gay and Proud on the Library of Congress's YouTube page, and I watched it. In it, a young man being interviewed says, Because if two homosexuals can live together and thrive, and to be constructive rather than destructive to each other and themselves, without legal bonds, without children, without the sanction of the great society, then they can demonstrate to heterosexuals they need not be so concerned with their property and their marriage and divorce laws. If I seem overly annoyed in these interviews or in this episode, it's because I am overly annoyed with the exclusion, harassment, and death queer people have faced in this country for decades, including now, and the ways we're now being exploited by corporations as a good target market for capitalism when it suddenly became profitable for them. I've also been dealing personally and professionally with some homophobia and transphobia, and when we recorded this, I was a little at wit's end with it all. I don't want acceptance or tolerance from police that beat black queers and corporations that dump waste in vulnerable communities. I want more than just one subsection of us to experience liberation. And I want to never forget that rainbow bottles of vodka are radical in spirit while also being capitalist in execution. I want the freedom to be silly and I want the knowledge to honor the past. Our second guests this week are the co-hosts of the Diking Out podcast, Caroline Berger and Melody Kamali, who joined me to talk about their experiences at Pride Festivals, the meaning of rainbow capitalism, and sponsorships that do and don't make sense. We also spill the tea on exactly what companies do and don't pay and talk about how making or giving out rainbow or trans pride flag merch doesn't absolve you or mean you really care. So first, let's get into it with Dr. Eric Cervini. My name is Dr. Eric Cervini. I'm a historian of LGBTQ plus politics uh, with a focus on uh, the 20th century. So this episode is about pinkwashing, which is something that I've wanted to talk about for so long. So what is pinkwashing? Pinkwashing is a relatively new phenomenon of the past few decades that involves uh, corporations or other organizations, usually companies, that... Long story short, they slap a rainbow on themselves around June, around Pride every year, and use that in order to sell goods, in order to make more of a profit, Uh, because they have found that (laughs) the queer community uh, is very large. And if if you attract enough of us to buy your products, then uh, it's certainly a profitable endeavor. Okay, when did this start? Because we were bad for business. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, I think, 
you can go all the way back to the very beginning of the organized at the time it was called the homophile movement uh before stonewall you know folks who were who were fighting for for gay rights as we would call it now were, were homophile activists and they were the ones who kind of convinced if you may have heard of like jose saria uh the famous drag queen in, in san francisco who of course they were preoccupied with getting uh uh, political rights. But at the same time, in order to have any sort of community, you need to have uh, a place to actually go. And in the 20th century, in mid 20th century and before that, it was gay bars, right? Or queer bars, bars of any kind, right? Often there were straight bars that we would just take over. And so really the first time you see pinkwashing happen is at these different bars, many of which started as straight then they realized, oh, we're not doing so well. We're kind of a dump. Um, we're not we're not attracting straight customers. But if we market ourselves towards queer folks, then they will come and they will come because they have no other option. Right. We'll go to that. We'll go to a dump because <laughs> we might meet someone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. We, there, there just weren't that many options. And so. They could get away with it. And so you see it starting to happen um, with with the mafia, especially they realize, you know, especially in in, in the 60s, uh, Stonewall, the Stonewall Inn was run by the mafia, right? Because a lot of them were a lot were. And and so I would argue that that's one of the first examples of pinkwashing were, were these bars. And then as we became more visible, we began exerting our economic power more directly. We started buying magazines like uh, The Advocate, uh, some of these other publications. Uh, they needed advertisers, right? So they started marketing themselves to other companies, whether it was barbers or uh, what else, different fashion outlets saying, hey, you know, we care about fashion. We care about getting our hair cut. And so they would start trying to sell themselves as a market. So in a way, we kind of started the process getting going just to fund ourselves. Uh, but then it, it grew into something quite different. And the problem is that these places don't actually care about gay people. <laughs> and I don't think you <laughs> there is a better example than in the past few weeks, right, with with the Don't Say Gay bill and some of this other legislation um, all across the country. And activists and employees at companies like Disney, uh, which, of course, owns so much of I'm in Los Angeles. So much of this town is, is run by by Disney and its subsidiaries. Uh, but other huge corporations like AT&T, Comcast, these huge entities that every year show up at, at New York Pride and other pride marches across the country. And then the next week or the next day. You know, throughout the whole year, they're donating to these uh, sponsors and co-sponsors of legislation that's quite literally attempting to, to kill us. So yeah, it was a hard day for the Disney gays. It's been a hard few weeks. Yes, it's uh, it's been very interesting to watch. Watching old episodes of like the L word or or I don't know, Drag Race or anything. They were sponsored by these like gay startup, gay companies, whatever. And and then those are companies that don't exist anymore. Those have died out. But meanwhile, like Southwest Airlines or whatever is like our rainbow plane. So like, why does this happen? Yeah, well, it's kind of the Walmartification of our entire economy, right? Or the Amazonification of, you know, very similar. I'm an author, right? And so I'm obsessed with, with independent bookshops. They're disappearing. And they're disappearing. I, I wish someone would do the math. I haven't done the math yet. I wouldn't be surprised if they're disappearing at a similar rate as the disappearance of queer bars. You're, you're seeing, you know, this economic process carrying out where you have this huge consolidation of, 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 uh, business and sales into one <laughs> space online. Um, and that's just going to always be more profitable than, you know, a mom and pop shop, whether it's a bookstore or whether it's a gay bar. And similarly, at the same time, we're getting acceptance, quote unquote. It's so heartbreaking to see, you know, how, how few 
bars there are, um, how few queer spaces in general, especially especially queer spaces that don't involve drinking, um, especially lesbian bars. None. None in L.A. There's a few, like, nights. There are more gay bars in the city of San Francisco than there are lesbian bars in the entire country. Well, shout out to the cubbyhole in New York, which is, I think, the size of a matchbox. Yes. <laughs> but I just feel sad that I feel like we don't support our own enough. Right. And, you know, it, it's hard to differentiate. We're getting to a tipping point. I think people now, when they see, you know, a vodka bottle with, with a rainbow on it, we're going to roll our eyes. You know, we know what's happening now. Whereas at first it was really exciting, right? Like, oh my God, absolute sponsoring RuPaul's Drag Race back in the early 2000s. Wow. Yeah, wow. But now because it's been so accepted, it's kind of like, all right, well, what are you doing to walk the talk now? All these politicians and all these state legislatures are coming after us. Right, there's real threats. What's the like most egregious thing that you've seen be turned pride. <laughs> I love Chipotle and it's just, it gets me every time to see like a giant rainbow burrito because there must be, and you know, at the end of the day, it's it's the queer employees who are designing these, I hope, you know, or at least they're the ones who are kind of spearheading the effort. So it's, it's complicated, right? Because yeah, these, for these employees, it's a big deal that their company is supporting them but it begs the question of how how hollow is that support? What? Yeah. How do we feel about cops at Pride? Well, they're banned. They're out. And I think, you know, I encourage anyone who wonders what Pride should be to look at this incredible documentary. It's on YouTube. It's 12 minutes long uh, by this woman named Lily Vincennes. She was the first lesbian to ever march in front of the uh, the White House uh, for queer liberation for, for at the time, it was homophile rights. Uh, and she brought a video camera to the very first Pride March in 1970. And the only known footage of it. And it's incredible. And you look and there are no floats, right? There, it's just people. It's a huge mass of people. People are carrying signs. People are, you know, they, they're, they're expressing themselves. Specifically a political active resistance against the police, right? Why? The Stonewall, right? The Stonewall was a riot against the police. It was a response to police brutality, harassment, and sexual assault. So if we're going to call Pride a commemoration of Stonewall, which is continuing the fight against police brutality, harassment, and assault, then does it make sense to be celebrating that same institution that is still killing us? Of course, there are queer police officers who should be able to march, but by God, they should not be wearing their costume. Their costume. Yeah, I I agree. I think, you know, it's interesting. They just um, had a really interesting discussion again on Drag Race because there are two shows. And, uh, what, and uh, they were talking about Folsom versus Pride. And I thought that was so interesting because, you know, there's this thing of like, Pride is for families and why shouldn't the cops be there and get rid of the kink people and whatever. And I think it was really nice to for them to talk about it and to hear that like, look, <laughs> there's yes to the families, let's say, but I don't want the approval of Bank of America. I don't want the approval of a company that's going to donate repeatedly to Republican senators who want to make, you know, trans kids illegal. You talked about acceptance, quote unquote, and it's like that that comes with being catered to and that comes with, I guess, like money being spent or whatever, or them asking for money from us. But like at a certain point, I'm like, I don't want it. <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging gay people exist, but like, I don't want it. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I think... The money, and you can always follow the money, right? The, the amount of money that these companies put into their marketing and, and into Pride. For Pride, donate that somewhere. Right, exactly. And I hear so many people say, well, we need that money, right? We need that money in order to create this huge, beautiful, I mean, admittedly, it's a beautiful production of spectacle. 
I would argue that it's not the best use of our money, but you don't need that money. Remember, do you remember when there was all the prides were canceled, but then George Floyd was murdered and we marched regardless, right? There were no floats, there were no corporations, and we still marched for for, uh, queer black lives, for black trans lives. That is what pride started as. I know. I like to look, you know, it's interesting. And I think a similar thing is happening with trans people now where uh, it's like, in the, you know, it was like, oh, in the past, you the very recent past, like the company doesn't want anything to do with being gay. And you have to, my elderly neighbor, who is my partner's best friend, uh, is worked at Warner Brothers with a lot of gay men in the 80s. And they were, when they died of AIDS, they were not allowed to say what their coworker died of. That's in the 80s. You were not allowed to say what they were, di- he got sick and died. You're not allowed to say AIDS. And so... Like, that was recent, right? But, you know, it's like, what were they doing in between then and now? And, you know, like, with trans people, too, like, the the these companies can say just, like, bare minimum tweet, like, trans lives matter or whatever. But it's like, what does your health care look like? What is your family leave policy? Like, what – how recently could someone be fired for gender expression? Like, just curious. <laughs> The problem is, you know, not only are we regressing, but there are so many areas, especially in the realm of of trans rights, that we're still not there, right? You know, Texas is trying to make uh, gender affirmation a felony, a felony in multiple states. Yeah, tell me what you did in the 80s. I speaking of, uh, you have a website called fakeallies.org, <laughs> which is <laughs> hilarious. So listen, this Disney debacle has been I was shocked that it got as much attention. It is still getting as much attention because I thought, you know, we we roll our eyes. But at the end of the day, I thought folks were were cynical. No, we love Disneyland. One thing that Disney has gay days. We love Disneyland. And so many of their stories are queer. Mulan, that's a trans story, right? The Little Mermaid, that's that's a trans allegory. Kind of a trans story, yeah. And so there's a reason why why I think Disney has a special place in our hearts because we saw that. Ursula is divine. Yeah. So I think the reason why it, it, it got so much traction was because it felt like a betrayal. You know, because they not only have they been slapping on a rainbow every every June, but they've been telling us that that they've got our backs. They have Pride Day. They have Pride Night. Mm-hmm. For for decades. Yeah. And so because so many people rallied against Disney and because they so quickly changed their mind. I mean, it was it was incredible. What that tells me and tells all of us is corporations can change, right? Even if this is there, we're still not sure they, we, we don't, they've paused donations to, to, to people in Florida, but what would happen if pride organizations started holding companies like Disney accountable, right? And said, if you march in our parade, if you show your logo or your company name with a rainbow on it, you need to promise to us that you stand against the hundreds of, of uh, LGBTQ plus hate laws, and also that you're not going to donate to Republicans trying to kill us, trying to silence and erase us the next day. If you're an Exxon Mobil and you're hurting the environment, like what populations does that mostly affect? Have you hired any black trans people? Like, what does your board look like exactly? I get the pilots early. So... Because I, I work in television, so I see what people are putting out, right? So I, in my head, after uh, after the protests in 2020, Black Lives Matter, and they canceled all these cop shows, right? 2021, they start redoing, you know, the the types of shows that go on TV, and I get the pilot network pilots, and it's everything is still cops and FBI agents, but now the they're black. <laughs> Yeah. And what what what's the alternative? What should we be demanding? And I think that's what's so inspirational about, for example, the Disney employees. You know, you look at their their website and they're listing very concrete actions to start walking the talk. This form of restorative 
justice is, is I think, what we should be endeavoring towards. The pushback on a lot of BLM and Pride and all this stuff is like, oh, they don't know what they're at. They don't have any demands. What are they at? What do they want? Um, and I think you're like having those demands be very clear is then people are like, but we don't want to do those demands. And I'm like, well, you told us we didn't have demands. Here are our demands. And they're like, not those. Yeah, not that, not that one. <laughs> what could a company do to actually walk the talk? In the media, it's about actually centering queer stories, right? That's what, the, you know, Pixar, that letter from the, the Pixar uh, uh, illustrators, you know, basically whistleblowing on Disney saying every single time that we try to pitch a you know, a explicitly queer even subplot, not even main plot, but subplot, it gets, it gets shot down. So, you know, in entertainment, it's about not just having a token queer or trans person or person of color. It's about, okay, let's build a show around this character and hire a writer's room full of a diversity of, of queer and trans experience, right? That's what it looks like in entertainment. Elsewhere in corporate America, my God, I, I don't know. But I'm guessing like what you said um, about actually having practices and recruitment efforts to, to fill up uh, not just the lower, lower levels, because you look at, you know, these, you know, uh, venture capital firms, you have to scroll all the way down, right, to see that diaper. So how do we actually make this um, not just a token effort? And I think it's, it's something that experts within each of the, those fields has to has to fight for. What does the future look like ideally? Because I feel like as a non-binary person, I think the next wave is going to be like, now we care about trans people, but like they don't. <laughs> like the tra like the military just is going to have like a plane being like, this is our trans plane or whatever. Like, are we just going to have to like, stomach that as the next step until we get somewhere else. Exactly. And, you know, I think it's about elevating groups that are already doing the work, that are already marching and providing a template for how do we rebuild or reform in a more, uh, I don't know, queer liberatory way. There's the Queer Liberation March in uh, New York. Same day that, that the official NYC Pride has its parade, the Queer Liberation March, formerly the Reclaim Pride March or Coalition, um, they march in the morning, right? So, so the, the, the main Pride Parade marches like in the afternoon. They march in the morning. They go in the, the same direction that Pride used to be going, which is uh, north up towards Central Park. And it's exactly what we've been talking about. It's, they have very concrete demands racial, social justice for the entire queer and trans community, very specific planks. And it's beautiful. There's no companies, there's no cops. And it's really, really fun. And that's what, you know, so many of the people who marched in that first parade, who are now in their 80s and 90s, they marched with that parade. Randy Wicker, who organized the very first uh, gay rights march in the world, marches with that parade. Uh, and I think that tells you everything. I think... It would behoove, and me as well, I could even do more. It would behoove queer people to learn about history and to put context to things and to know more than just, you know, what queer stuff is going on now, what heroes there are now, but the people of the past, how recently things were not what they are. Even, I would say, you know what? Straight people should actually be doing this work. If you guys want to like come and say, Gay people have all the power. They get mad on social media and everything changes. Come talk to my neighbor, Dita, about how she has no friends because every single one of her friends is dead. There's, and she was not allowed to talk. She was not allowed to talk about it at work. So don't like come to me with, you know what I mean? Like it's very, I'm working on a project right now. I'm maybe I'm fired up because I'm working on a project right now about the woman who created the first lesbian bar. She got deported and died in the Holocaust for being a lesbian. Whoa. So do not come and fucking talk to me, anyone. Straight up leave me alone. <laughs> What's her name? I don't know. I don't even know if I know this story. Oh, her name's Eve Adams. 
And like, that was not, you know what I mean? So like, it seems like it was long ago, but like these people are alive. Yeah. Have you ever talked to um, Lillian Faderman? For anyone listening, she's the grandmother of lesbian history, lives with her uh, amazing wife, Phyllis. She's, I think, also close to 90, but she was out and proud as a lesbian in the 1950s in Los Angeles and has incredible stories about the dozens of lesbian bars that existed in the, you know, 50s and 60s. Yeah, Mob Queens is a great podcast that was about how um, the mob ran drag bars. It's just like, just like learn history. And if you're, if you're queer, learn history. And if you're straight, learn history before you come talk to me. In fact, no one talk to me. Everyone leave me alone. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, where can people find you and more about you? <laughs> sure. It's just my name on Instagram or TikTok, Eric Servini with a C. Um, yeah. And sometimes I... I do little fun facts of queer history and... Push your book. Oh, yeah, in, in a book. <laughs> um, it's called The Deviant's War, uh, The Homosexual versus the United States of America, um, about, yeah, 50s and 60s early queer activism. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Our second guests this week are comedians and the co-hosts of the Diking Out podcast, Carolyn Berger and Melody Kamali. Here's them. I'm Carolyn Bergier. I'm the co-host and creator of the Diking Out podcast, and I'm also a comedian. I'm Melody Kamali. I'm the co-host of Diking Out with Carolyn, and I am also a comedian in New York. Very cool. So can you explain, uh, just for my listeners, like what the Diking Out podcast is? I mean, I think it's pretty much what it sounds like. We're just... (laughs) Couple of queers diking out. Now, we have um, a different guest that we invite every week to, quote unquote, dike out with us about a topic that they want to talk about. So we just try to get as many different like voices and perspectives in the community as we can. And the topics are just a way to cover different uh, areas that maybe people don't get a chance to hear about um, through a queer lens. So it's everything from like, ex-girlfriends to trans issues to birding and tea and plants anything can be diked out about for each of you what is the first pride event that you ever went to for me it was in atlanta georgia i had moved there after college and uh that was my first pride even though i'd been out for four years but i never went to one in my hometown or where i went to school in boston uh And it was like a big pride celebration in Atlanta. Atlanta is a lot gayer than I knew it was going to be before I moved there. What was it? Was it just like a a parade and like a big sort of like, can you describe it for people that maybe have never been? Yeah. So it it was a parade, but then also they have, I think it's like a couple days where they have um, in the park, all these tents and booths set up with products um and uh, of course like the parties at all the various gay bars going on and the the park scene though was so awesome uh i mean i'm gonna say i love the corporations and what they were doing at this pride because they were giving out free stuff and then in new york everything there was no free stuff no in new york you have to like give your social security number to get like a drop of lube it's like i i don't know why (laughs) so like i think i thought there was like free ice cream uh the one time that um i came across it and the line was like 300 people trying to get like the one free thing that was actually like a win you know (laughs) Okay, Melody, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm not as much of a rainbow capitalist as my co-host, Carolyn. (laughs) Shameless. I'm shameless. Um, Okay, every bead I wore was ethically sourced. No, I'm just kidding. I (laughs) went to Pride for the first time, a parade um, in Chicago. I lived in Boys Town in Chicago when I first moved there for school, but um, I'd already lived in this apartment in Boys Town, like right at the beginning of like the gates to gay town, like Belmont and Halstead. Um, so I 
wasn't out yet my first summer there. So I was like holed up in my apartment, like feeling the vibration of the stage, <laughs> like taunting me from outside. But then eventually started coming out in 2011. I went to the parade. I had no choice but to attend. I would get barricaded into my apartment building and courtyard. Like there was, I had to attend. It was like symbolic almost. Um, <laughs> So I sat on the sidelines on my stoop and blew bubbles and watched for a while until someone I knew from school recognized me and pulled me out into the crowd. And suddenly we were dancing to like a prayer in the streets. What was your experience of corporations there? Barely remember them. <laughs> like not, not like Atlanta. No, I just remember a lot of drag queens. I remember, yeah, a lot of beads. I don't, really remember any of the floats. They could have been there. But like I said, I'm not that capitalistic. When you think about it now, like how different do the beginnings of Pride as a riot feel from your experiences at Pride or festivals or parades today? I can't help but think about it when I'm, you know, watching people at Pride now. I, I kind of wonder how it would be perceived back then. <laughs> there are a lot of problems. I know we're going to get into it. Uh, but also, I feel like that the uh, community kind of like adapts to the needs at the time. So if this, we're not waiting for Chase Bank to create the space for us to let our voice be heard. We still have the Dyke March. Um, the uh, and like the Dyke March is now probably like the only Pride event that I do because that feels the most in line with like what the point of Pride is. <laughs> It's well, there's been a pivot back to rioting like there were like legitimate riots um, over the last couple pride marches or queer liberation march as it's been rebranded in New York, at least. Um, so maybe through social media, people are more aware of the history or are realizing, you know, uh, who actually was responsible, like sort of the 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 the, you know, Marsha P. Johnson Institute getting her name out, the you know, Sylvia Rivera of it all, like people are sort of learning the the origins maybe uh, more thoroughly because they're able to see it on Instagram or Twitter. I don't know. Right. And and also at uh, New York Pride, there is always there always are groups that are trying to remind everybody about the the roots. And there are always people that are protesting the cops being there um, even before um, BLM. And uh, I know there's that group that always gets like arrested um, and, and they like they link arms or whatever. And then they have to stop the whole parade uh Every year is my understanding and and, you know, get clear them away. And then you see like a lot of the spectators um, who are either maybe there as allies or um, aren't as familiar with the history. They're getting all frustrated and stuff. And you're like, no, no, no. Like this is very necessary. Feeling free, feeling like you can make out with your friend, feeling like, you know, oh, this is where, you know, for a lot of people, this is like where I can hold my partner's hand for the first time. Like, you know, I think that's like a really important part of it. Now, the rainbow washing and the the pink washing. So do you have any like companies that have tried to sponsor sponsor you or like weird sponsorships that you feel incongruous about? Like truly like Lyft, I'll say who it is. Lyft sponsored me for Pride and then didn't pay me for a full year. Like I had to like be on their asses about it. I had to be on them about it. Wow. As a podcast, we've been lucky in that one of our sponsors of our live events is Maker's Mark, and they make a point of not only sponsoring us year round and being very adamant of like they don't just want to show up during Pride, but um, the people that we work with are queer. So it feels like they get us, they get what we're trying to do and definitely feeling very supported by that or like uh Jägermeister has sponsored some things through partnership with the the lesbian bar project so the um they're doing that important work as well so it feels good to have the money come from brands like that but Mel do you remember yeah we were on a call <laughs> 
with a CBD company that wanted to sponsor us that positioned themselves as a gay CBD company. And it was uh, the CEO was a like boomer uh, white guy who just had a lot of yeah straight, obviously a lot of excess money from his days as like a big wig ad exec or something. Right. And he had a gay son. And I don't know, in an an attempt to understand his uh, or gay nephew, was it better? He had got to talking to his gay nephew and realized there might be a market for CBD products for gay people, but quickly learned that quote unquote gay men are too hedonistic to pander to. So he wanted to pivot and have the lesbian podcast push his product because lesbians stay in more and are gentle and aren't doing drugs and living a, again, hedonistic lifestyle. <laughs> oh my God. So on, on top of that, they send, a, and yes, we did take their money. Um, they send us the, the product and it comes. And even though they're making this pivot to uh, the, the queer women community <laughs> They did send us CBD lube uh, and, you know, the but the packaging, it, it felt like, OK, you want you want lesbians and bisexual women to buy this, but it's it does not feel like this is for us. Like you just saw market opportunity. They were referred to us by um a past guest of the podcast who was working for them. So I guess they did have uh, a queer woman helping out with one queer one who was just trying to do good at a day job. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, you can try. <laughs> you know, I think that there's this thing, too, of, you know, these companies, Bank of America being like, I not, you know, corporate pride. Uh, here's our Bank of America float. But what are Bank of America's um, policies for trans people what are for their trans employees in healthcare i am not blaming bank of america bank of america is an example i'm sure maybe they do have this stuff i don't know but like jp morgan whatever any of it like goldman sachs what happy pride like what what are what is the ratio of their actual employees or the people that are like actually thriving at that company you know what what do they give money to happy pride from chick-fil-a like what are we doing <laughs> Right. I mean, you have YouTube that changes its logo to be I love uh, the the logo rainbows. YouTube creators like they uh, a lot of queer content can't have ad money because it gets flagged as obscene. And then a lot of these creators aren't, aren't getting money for what they do, which is like and, and it's a problem. I mean, I'm not a YouTuber, so I don't know if, if it's been fixed by now. But I remember hearing from a lot of people who had like millions of views on their videos and weren't seeing a cent because it was flagged. Oh, yeah. I've made queer content on YouTube for a long time. And uh, and that was, yeah, it was a lot of it was demonetized. And then they had the goddamn audacity to send me an email, ask if I wanted to participate in a pride thing. And I wrote back furious. I love a I love a good I love a good burning a bridge via email. <laughs> And, and even companies that try to do things outside of Pride can hit the mark so wrong. So uh, some uh, comedian friends of mine, they were asked to do comedy for a company for Lesbian Visibility Day, and they weren't going to get paid. They were asked to just like donate their, their time, this, you know, married couple who, who does comedy, and they went to the website of this company and it's like one of like the six largest it or it's the sixth largest consulting company in the world or something like you know they're just like bleeding money like yeah i got asked to um uh produce um host and book a virtual stand up show uh summer of 2020 for a tech company in san francisco pro bono and so when you were like i make the most money in june i'm like well, i get asked for pro bono work all June. I don't know. <laughs> they take a lot of a long time to get you the money or they ask you for free or you try to get like one sponsorship. But it's also this interesting thing where they'll be like, OK, we want to sponsor you. So can you just like tell us the whole um, intense, vulnerable story of you coming to realize you were trans, not binary? We'll throw it up on our website and spot. This is I don't want to say 
a bad thing about it because they did give me money, but it's like, it was so funny. My like big coming out um, as trans non-binary uh, like profile of me was like sponsored by Mercedes Benz. <laughs> My grandmother drove a Mercedes her entire life, you know, so like good for her and everything. Um, That was like her big splurge that she really loved. And so I have, I guess, fond memories of it. But um, but it's like a little bit (laughs) it feels a little dystopian. Right. So I'm like posting on my Instagram like this beautiful artwork that this queer artist made, which they did. That's a credit to them being like this is my whole story, like, enjoy. And then at the bottom, I have to be like, Mercedes-Benz believes in freedom. Amazing. (laughs) Hashtag ad. Yeah. (laughs) Hashtag ad. Do you ever buy queer merch? Speaking of Pride, I feel like I get sent, like, rainbow socks every Pride or, like, you know what drives me nuts? Well, we'll get to this, but the, the, um... You'll always see the police department treat, like tweeting out like we wrapped one of our cars in rainbow. Happy Pride. Right. Right. I mean, there uh, there were Pride MAGA hats like the Trump campaign actually had. Wow. Pride make America great again hats. So, well, I'm sure people I'm sure the people who are who do believe in that are like the people that say like, well, Trump's policies were the best for, you know what I mean? Like there's, you're right. He's the most gay friendly. The most gay friendly president we've ever had. (laughs) Why do you feel like we, we want to have like gay pens and gay necklaces? I don't want it. (laughs) I don't want it. And I talk about this on the podcast a lot. And I talk about this in my stand up a lot. And, um, I, can't really do it at gay shows because I alienate too many people because I'm vehemently like anti rainbow um, aesthetically. Um, I but then I I think all flags are ugly. Every single one. Every single flag. Except maybe Brazil is like interesting to look at. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Geometrically you know, intriguing. But yeah, I it's also because people overcompensate how okay they are with my queerness and by that people i mean my girlfriend's family will shower us with rainbow themed gifts i literally have one on my desk here's my rainbow notebook um yeah and it's just that's what it symbolizes to me so i just got really sick of it um but but they do that and then they don't want you at the wedding. Yeah. And then they're like, <laughs> uninvite me to certain things or they'll uh, tell us to refer to each other as friends and certain company. So then I just get even more mad at all of the rainbow paraphernalia. So I have a real complex with it. Um, but I also just think it's very tacky. Um, really hard to style a rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> or they did. I, I like being visible and I like having bisexual like I have a pin that says "by serious," which I think is kind of funny. But like, oh, I would get. I that. definitely used to have to telegraph it so much more, and I think as I've gotten more comfortable in my queerness, I don't feel the need to wear shirts that say "God made Adam and Eve," and I did both. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and also my experience of gender has grown and evolved. So, like, my mom wanted to get my my best friend, who's a trans woman, a uh something for Hanukkah and I just was like what did you do you went on Etsy and typed in trans gifts <laughs> she was like <laughs> you know so and then I don't know how many of those products are actually made by trans people oh no they're not my girlfriend's mom is addicted to this website it's like lgbts.com or something like a bunch of t-shirts and every year we get a few of those and she's out of control they're very cheap you know they're not ethically made i have an enormous trans pride shirt for some reason don't identify as trans um so we're not doing good ultimately here um i guess i'm the only tacky one here who does uh, still purchase gay stuff no i mean i did i felt for i bought the rainbow ikea bag but i'm like what a cute bag if I have to carry stuff around to have it you know oh yeah I got the Ikea bisexual couch I mean (laughs) (laughs) if you don't know what that is everyone google the Ikea bisexual couch it was truly something but like I need to look into their policies I need to look into like what what are they doing to the environment I need to look into like what candidates are they giving money to like 
I mean, I know the the IKEA bags. I think the money went to the human rights campaign. So I I'm not just like buying uh buying things from from anywhere. I try to be thoughtful, but I do like having some rainbow stuff. Some like I have the auto straddle scissoring shirt. Um, I'm wearing it right now. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, and also, we have a monthly stand-up show at, at Stonewall. And for the first year of doing it, I made a, a bold choice. And I decided to wear this like leather vest um, every time I did it with a different gay tank top underneath. Um, so I was just like buying a lot of gay stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do agree, like, you know, my mom will buy me and my wife like matching like Kate Spade rainbow uh, wallets, you know, oh, and sure. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. Mm, OK. <laughs> yeah. Or like uh, my wife and I were actually in a, a photo shoot or uh, for Michael Kors for Pride. We did not get paid. We did not get paid. We did not get paid. We just see on every. Company. Right. There you go. We just got shirts that are that it's like the Michael Kors logo and it's rainbow. And they were like selling these shirts for like, I don't know, like seventy five dollars. It's just like a white T-shirt. And I'm like, why? But I know it like he's gay. Right. <laughs> sure. Or, so I and, and like the, mo- the the money went to went to something gay. gay <laughs> but I but I'm like, why? Why aren't we getting paid for this? Like what? You know, uh, I already feel guilt about. I've been talking about this too much lately, I think, um, my anti-rainbow deal. And I just want to <laughs> clarify that, like, when I'm talking about that stuff, I'm talking about these, like, cheap T-shirts that say, like, I'm the rainbow yeah. sheep of the family, like, from <sighs> family members. This is a PSA. Please think twice before purchasing gay merch for your family member because it just shows that the only thing you know about me is that I'm gay. Yes. <laughs> okay. And also, the it makes sure it's there are companies that are gay that are ethically sourced. Okay, have you seen any like we were talking about this, but have you seen any like weird Pride Instagrams or tweets like like the CIA tweeting Happy Pride? <laughs> Last February, oh Oreos this, tweeted. Yep, this was mine. Okay, <laughs> trans people exist, and I was like, why, why, why this tweet? Like, yeah, we know. Like, if they had. And then we joked about it right on the podcast. And I was yes. like, if they wanted to seem like they had their finger on the pulse, they would have been like, toxic lesbians with top knots exist. Um, <laughs> bisexuals <laughs> with too many jackets exist. Yeah. Like, then I'd be like, okay, they're clued in. Okay. Here's my question. So it's February, right? It's Black History Month. Let's say they, they want to be relevant. They could say, protect black trans women. Right. Yeah. Then you're on the pulse. There you go. It's so easy. I work for Oreo now. Black Protect black trans women. Here's a link to the Marsh P. Johnson Institute. Done. Yeah. Amazing. Like that tweet is not helping ensure the fact that they continue <laughs> to exist and thrive even. You know, like, right. what? Exist? Okay. <laughs> it's like that, you know, like, and I don't want to take this away from anyone, but this really is so annoying to me is when it's like some ally will be like, you know, um, pansexuality is valid. And I'm like, thanks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't. I, I Thanks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I love when it's like some like white cis celebrity will be like trans people are valid and everyone is like, amazing. <laughs> Right. We should cast him as a gay guy. <laughs> in terms of like uh, inc- incongru- incongruity, yeah. Cops at Pride. Uh, well, how do we feel about that? No, thank you. Yeah, I don't think they need to be there in terms of like working in uniform. Uh, I do think that if somebody is a cop and they're gay and they want to like attend pride with their partner out of uniform. I think that that's totally okay. I know there are some people who aren't with things like the Dyke March where there's no cops and you have volunteers that are protecting the, the marchers. I think that that's how it should be and it's proven to work. So there really isn't 
a need for it. Why, why do it based on like what the the history is and the whole reason um, that we have this is like because cops were horrible assholes. <laughs> there are people that will volunteer, people in the community that will volunteer to to do security. Um, I don't think we need the originators of the problem to be there. Right. And it's not like there aren't cops everywhere. And like for New York City specifically, like they're everywhere. So if something happens, then great. Like they can mobilize. But like, do we need them like lined along the the court? Like there are other ways to to make it safe. Yeah. I was there outside of Stonewall um, when... They started like people were just shouting like like as they walked past the cops. Right. But like I think someone like shoved them or like threw a balloon that had like hit one in the face. All of a sudden it turned violent and cops were just like shoving marchers into cars. And it was like you were just watching them instigate so much violence. Right. It's a triggering presence. The problem is, is that a police department can wrap a car in a rainbow and say happy pride. However, if uh, the stats of police brutality are so high that affect largely, we know, like communities of color, black people, um, those members of our community are not protected by the police. Or, you know, the the history of cops coming in and beating up uh, gay people at gay establishments, beating up uh, and, and harassing lesbians, which you can read about in Stone Butch Blues, which is an incredible... Um, talks about the way that lesbians were treated. But, you know, laws against sodomy that some are still on the books. Like, we know there's a history of, you know, sex workers uh, being murdered and the cops labeling it like no human involved. Like, we we know that. So I think, like, if you're a police department that, like, you just, you need to understand that it's not enough. What do they donate? Like it costs fifty to sixty thousand dollars to have a float in the parade, and they always <laughs> have a presence at the New York Pride. At least, just take that money even <laughs> and donate it. Right, right, right. What could a company actually do to show that they care about LGBTQ people? In your mind, like what would be the ideal situation? Make concerted hiring efforts and initiatives in making sure there's a diverse staff to begin with. But then how do you actually you can't like ask someone's orientation when you're hiring? No, no. Yeah. Well, that's why we need everyone (laughs) to wear rainbow outfits bought by your mom. There you go. (laughs) Start. Start from the inside. So before you, you know, before Citibank like changes out all the light bulbs for for Pride, um, and uh, and buys a float, like look at what your company um is doing in terms of making people uh feel safe. I think one of the biggest things is uh is healthcare right now. Like what um what healthcare do your um your trans employees have access to? Um, what are your policies for um, queer couples who are having trying to have kids? Do you assist with IV, IVF, adoption, all that, like being mindful of, of those kind of things um, and just really having policies within the company that make people um, feel safe, um, especially with a focus for for trans people, because I think that that's where, you know, so much of the work has to be done in terms of people being like discriminated um, against and, and whatnot, you know, are like, do you have um, single stall bathrooms for, <laughs> for people to feel comfortable in? I've seen, you know, I went to a hotel and the hotel had pin, you know, they're on their names. It was like, you know, at the front desk, like Jackie, and then it would have like she, her, you know, on the, and I was like, that's a hotel in Nashville that had that. And I was like, yeah, all right. You know, it lets you know that like, oh, okay, these people care. It is just a lot of little things. I mean, not that that they could have people doing that and then and then behind the scenes, you know, not have gender neutral bath. like, you know, like they, it, it, who knows what's performative. But if, if you do like an audit, from the inside and involve queer people to look at all the different areas and be like, what, where's the room for improvement? What could we be doing? And that's like, 
the the first step and then start looking at like what's your social media present like you know are you are you standing up do you have a a voice when when things are happening and people um could use the the support where is your money going to making sure that you're not supporting um you know anti gay anti trans politicians all of that good stuff yeah well thank you so much um where can people find you and your podcast uh and your social media we are at diking out pretty much everywhere and then personally i'm uh, at tgi carolyn and i'm at melody kamali on all social media platforms cool thank you so much guys yeah, thanks thank for you having so much us for having us quote i was sorry not to see though There were not some politician or something here with us today, a young man laments at the very end of the documentary Gay and Proud. He hopes one day there will be. And now look, politicians who vote against our community in the ways that matter, healthcare, job security, abortion rights, sexual assault, justice, environmental protections, they show up on a gas company or credit card company pride float with rainbow flag pins and act like they're an ally because they watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't know what to think. When I get frustrated by all this, I remember a famous Oscar Wilde quote. I have no doubt we shall win, the author declared, but the road is long and red with monstrous martyrdoms. I would love to hear from you. Be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities, too. We are on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Oh, and don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Also, please leave an Apple review. Leave a five-star Apple review for this show. We need more Apple reviews. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye.